Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. chapter 16 of the story, and I hope many of you have gotten the chance to read ahead this week. We are in the middle of our journey through the Bible uh, in this year. We'll wrap that up uh, in the month of May, and so we'll be talking about the life of Jesus as we're leading into Easter this year. But right now, we're in the middle of Israel's journey and challenges in the divided kingdom. And uh, this is a dark section in Israel's history. The, the chapter this morning, how I'd like you, if you've got your Bible available this morning and you're turning through, it may be easier on your phone to get from place to place, but I'd encourage you to put your bookmark in Isaiah chapter 6 uh, for this morning. And we're going to be turning to a couple other passages, but once you do that, you can go to Second Kings chapter 17, which is where the historical portion of it starts this morning before we get to, again, the prophecy part in Isaiah. Uh, at this point in the story... Hosea is the king of Israel. And that, again, that's in the north. That, that's those 10 tribes to the north. And you've got Judah to the south where Jerusalem is. And they're going to be able to stay in the land longer than we find that to be the case for Israel. Uh, the northern part of Israel has had an 0 for 19 streak when it comes to kings. None of them have been righteous. 208 years and not a righteous king that they've had on the throne. And God's patience is finally worn out. Now King Shalmaneser from Assyria is going to come in and he's going to basically take those 10 tribes and displace them uh, in, in Assyria in different parts of uh, Assyria. And so these deported Israelites go there. Now, I know they're thinking at this time, why is this challenge happening? Why is this taking place? What have we done wrong? And, and that's actually made very clear uh, in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. All this took place. Because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. Again, for 208 years, these kings have led them away and led them astray to follow after other gods to be engaged in idol worship. And God has lost his patience with this. He's given them a lot of time. And so he chooses King Shalmaneser to have this happen. This is in the year 722 BC. So not quite a thousand years before Jesus arrives on the earth is when this is taking place. And those 10 lost tribes, they lose their distinctiveness. They lose their place in the land that God had had for them. I don't want to end up like Israel. I don't want to end up in that place. In fact, it's really hard, the words that are here, uh, 
uh, about how God describes what he's done to Israel. This is in Second uh, Kings 17, verse 18. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Can you imagine that being said about your, your people, your family, your tribe, about yourself? God removed himself from their presence. I don't want that for myself or my family. Yet at times it feels like we're living in 722 B.C., In a time where everything seems uncertain, we can lean into the truth of this week's story. That's what I want you to walk away with, is I know we come in with a lot of concerns and questions and challenges. But today, today, I want to call us to be reminded of the God who is above all the things that are going on in our lives. I want to draw our attention there, uh, because it may feel like uh, like 722 BC, but God is still on the throne. Amen? We're going to look at that truth again today. Let's pray as we open God's word uh, this morning. Father, I thank you for this story, a story I don't remember in VBS learning all that much growing up, but a story that we need nonetheless in times like these. And God, this message from Isaiah, this vision that he sees that transforms everything, I pray, God, that you would help us to encounter you this morning, God. Maybe it's a word from the message. Maybe it's our time during communion. Maybe it's a time of worship that we'll engage in in a little bit, God. But wherever that is, we need to be encountered by you. We need an encounter with the living God this morning. We know you're present. You are here. So, God, I pray these words from Scripture would remind us of who we are and who you are and how that causes us to live this week. I pray this morning you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, all the, while all this is going on in the north, 722 BC, the exile and all this, there's other action going on in the south, and it's not all good either in Judah. They're experiencing their own troubles. And in the midst of their turmoil, God raises up a prophet, a man named Isaiah, to deliver a message to the people of God. And his call to be a prophet comes in Isaiah chapter 6, the passage I mentioned to you earlier. So if you turn there right now, I want to read uh, this vision. And as I read this, sometimes we just kind of follow along the words. I want you to, in your mind's eye, imagine this situation. Imagine encountering God in the way that Isaiah does. There's a lot of imagery here, and I just want to want to encourage you uh, to stick with me as I read these these verses. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. The story begins with uh, some context. In the year that King 
Uzziah died. Now, we don't have any clue who King Uzziah is, right? I mean, I, maybe you brushed up on the, that this week. I, I had to do a little bit of work to be reminded of that time. But, but this is the time when Isaiah has his encounter with God. God comes to Isaiah in a significant moment. In the eyes of the people, the future looked dim because King Uzziah was a good king. He had reigned for 52 years over Judah. From the time he was 16 years old until he dies, At the age of 68, Uzziah's reign has been marked by many blessings and greatness, splendor and wealth, as much as any king before them other than maybe King Solomon. And under his leadership, the prosperity of the Jewish people increased dramatically under him. He had built new cities, refurbished old ones, and in the process created thousands of jobs. But not only did the Jewish people grow in prosperity during this time, they also grew in security. As Uzziah had increased the Jews' military strength and defeated a number of nations that were opposing them during his reign. The reason for King Uzziah's success is actually made very explicit in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Let me read this verse in verse 5. This is about King Uzziah. It says, he sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. But late in his life, things make a turn for the worse. And there's a reason why his success stops. Uh, This is 2 Chronicles 26, the same chapter, verse 16. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Uzziah's pride had raised its ugly head one day when he presumptuously enters into the temple of the Lord. And he does the task that only the priests are supposed to do. He begins to perform sacrifices And when the priest cautioned Uzziah and said, no, this is not your role to do this, he lost his temper and he flew into a rage against them. And immediately God strikes him with leprosy, this disease that keeps him separate for the rest of his life from everyone that he had been around. This is how he dies. The most shameful disease of the day, he's secluded away from the temple and his palace. And while Uzziah is in the closing years of his life, All of a sudden, Assyria, who had taken over the northern tribes, begins to step into the doorstep of Israel. They begin to threaten and believe that maybe Israel, Judah, will be next. In the midst of this whole scene, of the death of this great king, of all this concern about Assyria on the doorstep, all of a sudden something changes Isaiah's vision. Changes from what's around him to the God that we encounter today as well. Check out what Isaiah saw. I want to read through that passage in Isaiah 6-1 a little more closely because I think there's a good, there's good news for us here in this passage this morning. Isaiah 6-1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In the very year that things seemed so out of control, Isaiah sees God seated on the throne, high and exalted, In the year when no one sat on Israel's throne, Isaiah sees God seated on a throne. Some of us need this truth this week. Because the throne at the center of the universe is not up for grabs. Just because Uzziah is dead doesn't mean God is dead. Just because Uzziah isn't on the throne anymore doesn't mean God isn't on the throne still. Whether you're anxious or thrilled about the next four years, God isn't pacing, fretting, or anxious. God isn't dethroned based on earthly coronations or elections. 
The king we worship never dies, never abdicates his throne. He will never be overruled or overthrown. Uzziah may be gone from the throne, but God isn't. And God wants Isaiah to see this reality. This is why this vision occurs to Isaiah, who is going to speak for him. And God wants Isaiah to see this. But that's not the only thing that God wants Isaiah to see. I want you to notice in the verses that follow these seraphs, these angelic beings who are proclaimed and surround the throne of God. Listen to what they say in in Isaiah 6, the second half of verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's one thing for God to be on the throne, to be somewhere else, to be exalted high and above all things. But that's not what this verse says. This verse says the whole earth, not just the realm of heaven, but the whole earth is full of his glory. God's not just the one overseeing things from far off. No, he's among us. His glory fills this place. He's in the middle of this chaos that Isaiah chapter 6 describes. The death of Isaiah in the presence of Assyria doesn't signal God's absence. No, the whole earth is filled with his glory. In, in 1937, Walt Disney released its first uh, full-length animated movie, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And it was a gargantuan task. Disney artists drew over one million pictures. Each picture flashed across the screen one twenty-fourth uh, of a second. That's all it was. And and all these people were mesmerized by the fact that this could be a a movie and the way it was put across, not realizing all the work that had gone on behind it to make it happen. And our lives are a lot like that. We have no idea how much God's glory fills every frame of our lives. We just take it for granted the story continues on. Recently, I, I came across an old interview with Bill Russell, the basketball player, one of the greats. No professional athlete has won more championships on a team than him with the Celtics. Russell had a unique role later in his life, in his career. He was the first player coach in professional sports. And he, so he had the authority of a coach who would see things and instruct all the team how to uh, interact on the court. But then he would enter into the court himself to be a part of that game plan unfolding. And in a sense, this is what we have in our sovereign God who is over it all, right? He's the coach above it all, and yet he's in the middle of it all. He's at work even in the wake of Isaiah's death and the threat of Assyria on their doorstep. But Isaiah and Assyria don't seem to be at the forefront of Isaiah's mind while he's in this vision. Pay attention to what he says in in verse 5 again, what he cries out. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Church, if there's anything we need in 2021 from this passage, this might be the verse we need most. You've heard of wake-up calls. This is a shake-up call. The doors of the temple, the doorposts are shaking, and Isaiah must be quaking as well. Suddenly, the only thing he can think about is who he is before the holy God that he encounters in this vision. And in that moment, he realizes his biggest problem is not the death of Isaiah. His biggest problem is not Assyria that's on the doorstep. He's not thinking about his circumstances in this moment at all, but he's thinking of his sinfulness, of the sinfulness of his own people. Again, if there's anything we need right now, it's a group of people who are more aware of their own sinfulness than they are of all the other sinfulness that doesn't uh, identify them. 
Church, we are constantly being courted by groups of people who want to demonize the other side. In fact, the only thing that seems to unite us right now in the midst of our division is a common enemy. We are constantly on the lookout for the evil in the other party, in the other religions, in other lifestyles. But revival will not come to the North American church by identifying and calling out the sins that we don't struggle with. We are not made better by pointing out the hypocrisy of those people. Because when Isaiah encounters this holy God, you realize what he says. It's not, how can I see all this sinfulness around me? Look at all the, no, he, he draws in on himself and he says, I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. It's his sinfulness. It's his uncleanness. It's the sin of his own people. And revival can only happen when we get to the point that we can acknowledge and repent of our uncleanness, of our sin. And then Isaiah sees a seraph flying toward him with this live coal in in his hand, right? Imagine an angel flying at you with this live coal. I know he thinks, I'm a goner. This is the end of it. I'm ruined. I'm unclean. But that's not the reason the seraph's coming to him. Instead, listen to what the seraph says in Isaiah 6, second half of verse 7. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, the word atone means to cover, uh, as in our sins being covered over. It turns out this holy God who sits on the throne, whose glory fills the temple, who fills the earth with his glory, this same God is the one who wants to come and to cleanse us when we feel unclean before him. You know, in this vision, Isaiah takes no initiative to this point. It's God who's encountered Isaiah. It's God and the seraph who flies toward him to cleanse him in this moment. God is the one who's taking initiative to cleanse Isaiah. And I want you to notice also that there's nothing about Isaiah's circumstances that have changed in these eight verses. King Uzziah has not been resurrected from the grave and Assyria hasn't gone away to go back to their own land. They still are on the doorstep. It's not the circumstances that have changed. It's Isaiah that has been changed. It turns out this holy God has come before him and and Isaiah has realized that his situation must change and he has to change as part of this. Notice a couple things. Watch what happens next in verse eight. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Now, first, God doesn't call Isaiah in particular in this passage. He doesn't say, Isaiah, who, who's going to go for us? Are you ready to go for me? He just says, who will go for us? And Isaiah signs up. And the other thing is, he doesn't know what he's volunteering for. He doesn't, he doesn't know exactly what it means, but he says, here am I. Send me. And I wonder right now in this season of uncertainty and the season of frustration that can surround all of us so often, what it is God might be calling you into right now. And your relationships that are around you, when God encounters you, it doesn't end with just being cleansed. It ends that we are cleansed so that we can be sent forth to be a part of God's mission and his purpose. And why does he volunteer when he doesn't know what he's volunteering for? Because he's seen the king. He's seen the one on the throne. Again, nothing about his circumstances have changed. Isaiah is still dead. Assyria is still a threat, but his attention has shifted. Instead of worrying about the trouble he can't control or change, Isaiah has a new concern. What is God doing in the midst 
of a year like this, the year when King Uzziah died, and how can I serve in what he's doing? Don't forget how Isaiah 6 began, in the year that King Uzziah died. And we could open with a similar line this year, couldn't we? (laughs) In the year that COVID-19 took so much, in the year of a presidential transition, in the year of you fill in the blank for you. What need, what we need is an encounter with the living God, just like Isaiah. Amen. What we need is to not just show up and to think about all the stories and things we hear in our world, but to be able to show up and realize, yes, there are really hard things all around us. And we could fill that blank in, in all kinds of ways. And there are common ways we can fill in the blank for that, but there are uniquenesses to this last year that you could fill in the blank for things that I had, I know nothing about right now in your life. Challenges that, that others may be helping you or walking with you, but what you need is an encounter with the living God to be reminded of what's true in the midst of so much trouble. And so right now, that's what we want to do. We want to offer an opportunity for you to encounter the living God. We want to offer a time of worship, an invitation to encounter God just like this scene. Because here's what's true in the midst of so much that we're uncertain of. God is still high and exalted on the throne. He's seated on his throne. He is high and exalted. The train of his robe fills the temple. Just think about that for a moment. Not his, not his robe fills the temple. The train of God's robe fills the temple. He is still holy. And that means that we are still unclean. And yet, we know a God who wants to take away our guilt, who comes to us in a way that may be frightening at first with a live cold through the seraph, but who wants to cleanse our sin. And that's the invitation this morning. I'm going to be standing to the side. If anyone would like to come forward and and want to commit their lives to Jesus, want to be baptized this morning, we would love nothing more than to take that confession and to baptize you in the name of Jesus. But more likely, there are other things that are going on in your life. In In the year that King Isaiah died, what is it for you this year? In the year that you fill in the blank, your concern, your challenge, what's right in front of you, what we need in that in this time, on this Sunday morning, and why we started with the message is we wanted to have a time of worship where we could set those things aside, not pretending like they don't exist, but for just a moment to encounter the living God in a time of worship. So for the next several moments, a couple songs, give an opportunity to do just that. To repent if that's what needs to be done of your uncleanness as you encounter this holy God. To, to step up and say, God, I, I'm ready to do whatever it is you do. Send me. Maybe it's to make a decision to follow Jesus this morning. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you right now, if you would, to stand. And I want to pray for us, and then we're going to enter in uh, to a time of worship. And again, you're welcome to come forward and find me. You can pray among each other. You can sing whatever it is you need this morning. What we want more than anything else is just to strip everything else away other than an encounter with the living God for all of us. Uh, let me pray uh, as I close this morning. God, I, I ask this morning that we would encounter you. Father, we have so many concerns and there are so many ways we fill in the blank of the year that we are in. But in the same way Isaiah encountered you in a, in a time that wasn't easy, it was filled with challenge. God, there's so many ways that that challenge needs to meet you because you're the God who's above all of these things. You're the God who's holy, holy and set apart and, and we feel unclean when we come into your presence, but we are grateful that you are not angry with us, God. It's your God who wants to cleanse our sin and send us to be your people. So God, we want to encounter you today. We know you're present. 
So I pray, God, as we lift our hearts to you, as we sing, that it would be a a noise that's pleasing to you. More than that, that our hearts would be drawn to you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.